I get to the studio and I don't like, I didn't have fancy clothes or anything. Uh, you were living in a tent. Yeah. Well, not at the time, <laughs> okay, not at the time. Okay. but um, you know, I, I had like maybe one or two collared shirts um, and I absolutely did not have a blazer at all. And I get there in like the other guests. I, I was part of a media panel, I guess, you know, you'd say, and everybody else is wearing a suit. And, and um and the producer comes out. This is, I don't know, 45 minutes before we're on air live. Um, and, and, and says, well, so you, you've seen the outline and, and, and gone over everything. And I said, what outline? <laughs> and she says, what, they, your editor didn't give you the outline? <laughs> I said, no. She's like, oh, so you're not prepared for anything we're going to talk about. Not at all. I have no idea what we're fixing <laughs> to talk about. The winter chill advisory has laid itself across the hill country. Currently, I am watching the red letters slide across the bottom of the TV telling us that it's cold, 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 folks. And, they're t well, the words aren't saying this, but everybody knows it. It's time for another episode of One Magical Hour, a Matthew and Schaefer podcast spectacular. This being the esteemed episode, is it 185 or 186, Matthew? 186. 186. Uh in a collector's series as the, to steal from TVTL. Um, okay. <laughs> can I get again? <laughs> we are so excited to be back with you. This is definitely going to be a slapstick, slap-happy episode. Dallas Cowboys playoff football episode of One Magical Hour because uh, we're just... So Matthew and I, well, I mean, we already spent several... Uh, the better part of an hour talking to each other because we're just so happy to see each other again because the holidays have been such a zoo and we haven't been able to even record the podcast and we're just so thankful to be together. I know I'm thankful to be with my bodhisattva of fun, Matthew Rampey. Here I am. Podcast me like a hurricane. Oh, come on, come on, come on. Here I am. Podcast you like a hurricane. Who sings that song? We should have talked about it. We could have accompanied. We could have done some accompaniment, <laughs> just like a church. That's one of the first songs I ever learned to play on the guitar. Uh, you need an accompanist. Uh, that's Scorpions. Did you ask me who it was? Okay. Let, and it, I, well, I, I asked, it was that old joke. Who sings that? And they say, Scorpion. And you say, well, let's keep it that way. Um, 
episode 186 of One Magical Hour. What does Matthew this drumstick say? And Schaefer Winsent? Oh, Scorpions! Uh, <laughs> uh, you were, I looked at the brand first. That's weird. Um, so, yeah, I know that you were just trying to set up like a, like a, a slap happy episode. Yes. You know, and you were like, oh, the. The kerfuffle of the holidays got in our way. I I think there there was another thing that got in the way. It was the passing of my father. Yes, sir. Very Which, sorry to hear about it, buddy. Thanks. Um, I mention it here because since we started the podcast, I think the podcast is killing my loved ones, Shiffy. Um, <laughs> since we started the podcast, <laughs> both grandmothers have have died. And my mother passed back on October 3rd, and it is now, it is January 14th. My father passed uh, a fortnight hence, uh, December 29th. So I want to just put it in the record books what happened to me these last couple weeks. Just this is a little, uh, I guess this is Matthew's minutia, but it feels more like, uh, like posterity yeah i don't know i, I don't know this footnote like, footnotes in our history footnotes in our history um we went to lubbock the day after christmas sorry we no, we saw my dad uh my, my dad had parkinson's disease he, he, 10 years well longer it had been like 12 years since his diagnosis with parkinson's disease so, so it wasn't like sudden obviously but also it's a little unclear how parkinson's is gonna end it's not pretty mm -hmm. um I, I don't know i want to talk about it here but i, I gotta tell you and i was say, saying before we started recording that it feels different than my grandmother's and my mother i don't know the passing of my dad for one thing i had a complicated relationship with my dad Listeners, get at us. Who doesn't have a complicated relationship with their dad? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Do you have a complicated relationship with your dad? Well, my dad and I have had our complications, definitely. Okay, sure. Yeah. All right. Well. And I think, honestly, like those complications. I know. God. I know this sounds like such a silly cliche, but. That's what this podcast is all about. Go on. Every time that my dad and I have broken down and like thrown down about something. Afterwards, we've been closer and more more loving and more careful and more better better for each other, honestly. Okay, that's cool. So, yes, complicated. Absolutely, sure. Yeah. Well, my complications go back to... Let me first... Let me say the good things about my dad first. Why don't I do that? My dad was a handsome, athletic cool guy he lived his entire life in lubbock texas he was actually born in rhode island my my grandfather was in the um my grandfather was in the navy uh, arthur rampy was in the navy and gave birth to mark allen rampy we had we had a uh we had allen going through uh, there was estel allen rampy arthur allen rampy mark allen rampy and i am matthew allen rampy Mark Allen Rampey was born in, in Rhode Island in, um, oh, what was the year? I think it was 52 um, or 51. And then uh, they, you know, they quickly came back to Lubbock and 
he um he went to Coronado High School. He played football. He went to Tech, but he didn't really take it seriously. He told me when I was young, he was like, "Man, I got to college and everybody was like real serious, and I was still just kind of clowning around. He was taking business classes or whatever." And he quit college after a couple of years. His his folks would have paid for him to go to Tech. They were paying for him to go to Tech, but. He wasn't really into it, and he started selling cars, and he sold cars for uh, we sold cars for uh, Dick Pollard for a little while, um, and we know Dick's and, granddaughter Christine. Yeah, and then and then he had his his own car lots in a few different iterations. He was in business with this Iranian guy, um, Roy McCarum. Solid gold wheels. I'm sure you've seen it on Avenue Q. That's Roy's lot, and Roy and Mark were partners for many years. And uh, Roy, Roy came to the funeral. It was really great to see him. COVID almost took him out a couple of years ago. Um, but uh, my dad married my mom. I, my dad was 24. My mom was 21. No. No. He was 22, and she was 19 when they got together, and they married soon after that. And then... When I was born, he was 24 years old and she was 21 years old. Like, I was the baby of children, essentially. <laughs> you know? And um, everything was pretty cool for about 10 years. And then, I don't know, I guess they were having their problems and their, you know, it was the 80s and it was like, the good, the greed and the glitz and the glamour of the eighties. And my dad thought he was a hot shot. Um, he was a, um, he had a side hustle. He was a bookmaker. Um, he made book. Do you know what that means? I do. Yeah. This um, is astounding to me. I, I, this is he, listeners. This is the first time learning about this. 100%. That's 100% true. He, um, this is gripping. He, he um, he was a gambler himself and he made book mostly sports, mostly college football was his main thing. I don't know. I mean, I think there were other things, but he had, he had an actual book and at the end of the football weekend at, after like Monday night football, that book got burned in the, in the fireplace. He would burn the book. I, uh, Matthew and listeners, do you need to, I know. Do you need to, stu- do you need to know, stop and take a beat here? <laughs> I know that gambling is problematic and it has ruined people's lives. But I also think that like this is the coolest story I've ever heard in my life. Like, he was a very cool guy. He hung out with you know, I think um, kind of gangsters and and. Um, uh, I don't. I'm, I don't. I didn't really plan on how to put all this, but I wanted to just put some of this down here. Um, sure. Yeah. Gosh, I didn't like- um, so you know, I, I don't know. He was. He liked the nightlife, and you know, um, I suppose after ten years of marriage, uh, twelve years of marriage, that passions wane, and he, I think he found himself a girlfriend, who he actually moved in with this woman from our house like when he when he moved out of our house he moved in with this woman um i think her name was lisa 
And um, I would see her, she worked at the perfume counter at Dillard's. And I was like living in an apartment with my mom at this point. And I would see her at the perfume counter at Dillard's. This is not the woman that he ended up marrying. Um, and in fact, he probably had six or seven girlfriends between this like there was this girlfriend and there was a few other girls he introduced us to before he met my stepmom who was 19 and she actually soon became pregnant. I feel so like I'm he, watching a movie, man. I'm so, um, <laughs> look, I'm just telling it. Yeah. Because that's, what, pe that's I, what people want to hear. Uh, I don't want to, don't interrupt. And, it's, um, it's an extraordinary story. You know, when you're a kid, your parents are like the foundation of your world. And my foundation was really rocked at that age. And for a lot of people, this happens. You know, you, you, your worldview is shaken at a young age. Anyway, my, my parent, my folks split up. My dad moves in with this woman with like bleach blonde hair and big fake nails. And it, well, that was really weird. I, I remember a Halloween where my, me and my sister like went over there. And then actually the following Christmas... Uh, we would always celebrate with his family on Christmas Eve and my mom's family on Christmas Day. And we went to my great-grandparents' house, Mama Leota and Papa Rampy. Um, we went to their house on Christmas Eve and my dad brought the girlfriend. Okay, And at this point, we are living with my grandparents, my mom's parents. And when we arrived back from... Christmas Eve for my dad to drop me off at my mom's parents' house. My mom peeked outside and she saw that the girlfriend was in the car. And my mom came totally unglued. Like my mom had a psychotic break in that moment. Mm -hmm. And her parents had to sort of separate her. And my I remember my grandfather took us into my grandmother's drapery shop. And my mom like really never recovered from that heartbreak. She she never dealt with it. Uh, soon after that, she got back into church and she met my stepdad. And it with I was 10 when they split. And by the time I was 12, late, late 12, everybody was remarried. Okay. And so I mean I loved my dad, but my dad went and did this thing and it broke up our family. And then he went and did this thing where he started a second family. So like I said, he met, he met my stepmom. I at the funeral or some kind of eulogizing thing. They it, it was written that they met at a restaurant. I'm almost a hundred percent sure they met at Chips. It's chips. You don't know what Chips is? No. It's a bar at the Loop and Slide Road. Oh. And, um, Rita, who's our friend Rita? Rita Thornell. Rita Thornell worked there for years, and like it's still there. Sports bar. It is like a sports okay. bar. Um, we actually just stayed when we were there for the funeral. We stayed at the Embassy Suites, which is also at Slide in the Loop. It's the old Barcelona courts. You're talking North Loop or South Loop? South Loop. Slide and South Loop. Across from the mall. Across the loop okay, from the mall. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. I'm oriented. And, no, I know the Embassy And suites. we actually, in second grade, we lived in a house right there at 73rd and Slide. I... On a rainy, the rainy morning of the funeral, I left the hotel and I walked over and I could see chips across slide. 
And then I went by, I went to the house that we lived in uh, when I was in second grade. Oh, you were in public to the bone. I mean, just, I was trying to, um, honestly, I was trying to feel something. Let me get back around to the present, but I'm, I'm, I'm going through the past first. Um, You're doing an amazing job. My dad started this second family and as soon as my parents were split, I would only see my dad once a week. Like he got Friday night visitations and that was it. And then, then they got married to different people. And then my stepdad moved us off to Arlington when I was 15. And my dad had these little kids. And I mean, I was, I was in a way emancipated from a young age because of this trauma. Like these things happen. My mom, for a minute, my mom was like, I don't need no man. And I felt like the man of the house. And then she married my stepdad and that became its its own like cancer of a situation in my head. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. And and I'm I'm glad for her. I'm glad she had that companionship all these years. And and, and in the the end, they both got sick and they both had younger spouses that took care of them. So maybe it was all as it should be. And it totally uh, turned me into my own man from a young age. Sure. You know? Um, but like, I, I, I don't know. My dad's priority was second family once that occurred. And, and so we, I can't say we were close over the years, you know, I will say in these last couple of years with him being sick and he's made a lot of overtures, you know, and, and, and done some, some bridge rebuilding or whatever and uh but yeah it was a shocker for my mom to pass and then um wait wait let me let let me come back around to that let me just say that let me go back to we went to lubbock for christmas my dad wanted us to be there my 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 mom had always gotten the holidays and we would split that between my wife's family and my mom's family you know, like mm-hmm. yeah. Christmas, Thanksgiving with one family, Christmas with the other, flip flop it the next year, coordinating that with our siblings too and their families so that everybody's together. Very and my dad, the last few years would be like, oh, it sure would be nice if y'all could come for Thanksgiving or for Christmas or for whatever. And I, I told him straight up a few times in the last few years, look, the the Christmases belong to the moms and we got to flip flop it and you you'll never get us on those holidays. I'm sorry. But my mom had passed and I had this feeling like, well, my mom's gone now. I can kind of focus on my dad. And he wanted us to come for Christmas. My sister was there for Christmas day. We, we waited till the day after Christmas just because it's easier with presents or whatever. And um, we had a nice visit and he was struggling a bit and I could see the decline and, but, we we were just going to leave for a week and come back through Lubbock. There was no re- real reason I th- would think that he, I wasn't going to see him again. And um, He had gone on hospice, but they were saying, well, we just went on hospice because this is a way to get home health care through Medicare and blah, blah, blah. Hospice is a great. Well, I talked about it in that other episode with my mom. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, we went up to the mountains and I took my kids skiing. And it was the first day of skiing and <clears throat> I took them to first, they had never skied and snowboard. He's snowboarding, she's skiing. 
I get them in their schools. I go off and I'm skiing by myself, which skiing is one of my most favorite activities that there are to do. I just, I, my dad took me skiing when I was a kid. You know, that was our like our family vacations from Lubbock. Mm-hmm. It's easy to get to places in New Mexico and Colorado. Yeah, yeah. And and so, I, you know, I did it for my, for my honeymoon. I went skiing. It actually been a long, it had been since my honeymoon because I had had knee surgery a couple of years after that and felt like, yep. oh, yep. I don't know if I'm ever going to do that again. Um, but yoga. It's got me in a place where I'm able to do that. I will say that. Um, I'm doing this thing I love so much in a place I love so much, the mountains and Southern Colorado. I just love this place in in the world. And it's my place and doing this amazing thing. And I get a a call from my half-sister, Ashley. And I was like, oh, that ain't good. Mm. I'm on the lift and I get a call. And the phones are messed up on the mountain. There's so many people. It's like a cell hole or whatever. Yeah. Um, she left a message telling me that my dad had passed that day. And then I made a tough decision to not tell my kids right when I picked them up from ski school because we were going to go ski together a little bit in right. the afternoon. And uh, But then, I don't know, there was this weird thing happening where like I was I, I was full of adrenaline. And I feel it, it was like blocking emotion. Hmm. And we had two more days of skiing ahead of us. And I had, I had our, we had, we had our rentals. I had paid for lift tickets. Like yeah, we were there. There was no hurry to get back to Lubbock. The funeral wasn't going to be until Thursday of the following week. Blah, blah. It was a Friday. And uh, we went ahead and had a couple more just amazing days of skiing and this thing on my mind, obviously. And, and then the funeral in Lubbock was like, we, we got back to Lubbock and I, we were just going to stay one night. This ended up just making us stay two nights. And we, so I had a whole day in Lubbock that was like a gorgeous day. Lubbock weather can be just really amazing sometimes. Yeah, sure. um, and then the day of the funeral was not, it was like raining and cold and... Mm. I honestly didn't really like feel it all until after we got home and I just sort of got back into my routine and everything. And now I'm processing. And they tell me that grief can be, it can take a long time. (laughs) So I had already noticed when my mom passed, I was in this like state of shock for two, three weeks. I don't know. Sure. And I was back in my right mind before this happened. And I was thinking how interesting it is that different state of mind when you're like in a state of shock, you know? And, um, and then now I was like, I'm, I was sort of back in it suddenly. So that's why we hadn't uh, recorded a podcast in a minute. Uh, I have a lot of very strong feelings. Do you want to talk about any of that? <laughs> First of all, my heart breaks for young Matthew. Um, I, I I feel everybody's condolences, but I I don't I don't feel pitiful about myself. But and I, well, gosh, Matthew, it's extraordinary that you became the man you are today. I, you know, I know. My shrink absolutely says, my shrink says the same thing. Amazing. Cause my, I mean, my dad was cool and loving and, but he wasn't really a good role model. 
and he, we were looking through pictures. I, I knew that he was kind of a wild man. And in his, in these last couple of years with him being sick, he told me about some of the stuff that happened. Like, oh, this one night he and this guy got in a, got in a fight with these guys at a restaurant. This is when they're like early twenties, like just, just mm-hmm. clowning around in Lubbock. Got in a fight with these guys at a restaurant and they, um, they chased him. And they they got to like this car and his buddy opened the door and the guy shot his buddy a few times in the arm. And um, my aunt has said something about him and a bunch of guys taking some guy and like throwing him out of a car. And uh, there was a photo from my half sister Bridget's uh, christening. And my dad has got a black eye. And my stepmom was like, oh, yeah, he got in a fight at the auction like the day before this. That's the dark side of gambling that I briefly <laughs> mentioned before. Yeah, there's well, a lot of horrible violence that goes on. I'm glad really... you mentioned gambling again, too. And I don't know if it was the gambling that brought on the violence. I think there was violence at home with my dad. My my grandfather was a drinker and was violent with my dad and my aunt. And my aunt has been talking to me a little bit about this recently, about him hitting them punching her in the eye and you know like legitimate you know what we consider now trauma violence home domestic violence mm-hmm. and i i'm trying to break generational tra- we're all trying to break generational traumas sure. right yeah and um y- you know i i can see my dad in this really forgiving light now you know, whatever, whatever I felt, if, whatever I felt in terms of like uh, short change that I felt about a dad like this, I realized that his home life was jacked up and he did the best he could and I'm doing the best I can. And um, it's weird because I, you know, Arthur's dad, Estel, whom I sat down with my dad and we wrote a memoir about my great grandfather. Did, did we talk about that on the podcast? A little bit, yeah. I'm so glad that we did. I don't I don't know what happened with Arthur. I think he had mental health problems. I think he was a narcissist and he and the, and society was organized in a way in which people could just be functional alcoholics and hit their kids and it was yeah. You know, the schools must have known. I I, I was like I asked my aunt. I was like, "Did did, did Estel and and Leota did they know about Arthur hitting y'all and she was like I I don't I don't guess they did or uh, I don't know so my dad had a hard upbringing in a way and his mom had a hard upbringing too again Arthur had a good family Estelle and Leota were good but but he might I mean the Rampies in general were pretty rough and tumble bunch I think (laughs) (laughs) Estelle's brothers was was talked about in the memoir and and uh, you know there was some cowboy and cow, cow poaching and, and then just working hard and probably drinking hard sometimes. Sure. Whatever. So, boy, that's a lot to just throw into the podcast. Uh, Matthew, I... I'm, wait, let, let me go back to gambling. So I saw what... I saw my dad be disappointed with gambling losses, you know, and... Um, I, it made me never want to, I'm not a gambler. I, 
I do some things that I, I, I don't have to be in control. I can be out of control. I like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. I need to be out of control sometimes to have a release. But that gambling out of control, I don't like that feeling at all. And I've I've done it. I've been to Vegas a couple times and just like kind of got caught up in it for a second. And it just scares me a lot because it's, it affected me personally. You know, I think my life probably would have been better if my dad hadn't been involved in these yes, that makes sense. Yeah, spurious sure. activities. Yeah, to, uh, yeah. Right after, um, well, I don't know. I don't know. The, the time. amount of firsthand violence you dealt with is astounding to me okay well maybe i downplay that in my own life my dad carried a a leather bag with cash and a snub nose 357 magnum just here in the by the console all the time and um the feds came to lubbock there was a big federal sting of around gambling sports gambling in lubbock and I think my dad was lucky not to go to prison. And one time when I was an older teen or maybe close to 20, my dad and I were walking in the mall together. We came up to this guy and the guy spoke to my dad and we walked on and he said, that guy, that guy went to the penitentiary. Like that guy went to jail over the gambling thing. Bro, I, I, did, I did, I did want to just come back around to the, this woman that was his girlfriend um, I hit hit the metronome for a second. Uh, years later, I mentioned it to my mom about her being a perfume counter girl at Dillard's, and my mom was like, "Oh, he met her at Baby Dolls, which the, is a which is a gentleman's club." Gentleman's club. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, okay. you wonder if that this, makes this... it all more white trash and salacious." <laughs> but you think that might be part of her mythology, or? <sighs> Oh, I don't that, know. You know, I wouldn't. I, actually, I mean, I mean, it's okay. I, would, I don't blame I, I her. I wouldn't put it past her or but, him. I don't know. I I really I know people I, say things after relationships. I think that I should feel honest. People sometimes tell lies. When I say all that, I know how it sounds. It sounds like I am a person of um, who comes from. A genealogy of criminals, and, uh-huh. and I'm, I'm of low birth. We were talking about hoi polloi. I mean, no, Matthew, <clears throat> you are like a Shakespearean hero. Like, uh, so okay. Also, everybody's family is on the spectrum of immorality, and well, I w- I will say too, going back to his grandfather Estel, I am so glad we put that memoir together because Estel's life and story is so much more wholesome and full of family and God and, and strength and, and just um, that rugged American individualism, you know, um, it's, it's, it's his story is inspiring and, and how he, he and his brothers ended up in Lubbock and um, talk about like Hoi Polloi and the 1% compare like somebody who, Maybe gets a little too involved in gambling, likes to date strippers, and sometimes gets into fights versus somebody who is a slumlord who owns a bunch of apartment complexes and regularly kicks poor people out of those apartment complexes because they can't pay rent. And, you know, like, like there's, there's way worse 
people in the world, you know, when you, if you want to try to like calibrate that needle. Um, now what happened to young Matthew, I think is unforgivable and, uh, you know, but that's just the way the world works, isn't it? Like, I wanted to say, it was really. I, I want to. You like should have been taking notes. I saw, I, saw, I saw you. I saw your eyes a number of times. <laughs> um, <laughs> first of all, the the big news flash that, uh, I, in my mind, Matt, the Rampies have been in Lubbock for four hundred years. You know, like, I just uh, I. It's interesting, and I guess I knew this from previous conversations about like the R- Rhode Island and stuff. But um, and it's interesting then because it, it was funny because then later you started like name checking all no, that no, all that the, public stuff. The Estel Rampy was born to Lloyd Arthur Rampy <laughs> in Tatum, New Mexico, to Emma McDonald. Lloyd Arthur Rampey, a man of mostly German heritage, Emma McDonald, a, a Scottish woman, and they had uh, they had seven kids. They had Estel, Chester, Randolph, Hardy, and Woodrow, and two girls. And I don't know their names, but they called them Sis and Dink. <laughs> Did you pause it? This is yes. That metronome just keeps popping in there. Um, <laughs> and and they so there was a government deal that the government would give you 360 acres in New Mexico if you would homestead it. That's right. And so Emma and Lloyd had gone out there with their family and they lived in a a lean to, a sod house, a half dug in house. And they were trying to sort of farm this land they've been given, and it was hard going. And Lloyd would work for the sheriff's department and transfer prisoners between Roswell and and Clovis, I think. Um, anyway, the the boys were all born out on the the frontier, New Mexico, and when they came to Lubbock in the 1920s, it was like a metropolis, like that. They, my grandfather, never wanted to go out on the prairie again. Like Lubbock was civilization to him and and they ended up, they worked in, the brothers worked in um, doing roofing and sheet metal, which go together, roofing and sheet metal. Sure. Yeah. And they started a company, a roofing and sheet metal company. And then they got in an argument, Chester got crossed with Woodrow. I think Woodrow like like took out a mortgage on the business or something without telling Chester. Oh no. And there was a schism and Estel and Chester separated and they made Texas sheet metal works, which was our family business, a a sheet metal shop. And then the other, the other rampies who we never ever saw, I never met or saw any of them. I guess this schism had gone down a couple generations Uh and there were other rampies in town and we didn't talk to them. The Woodrow's kid? The Hatfields and the Hatfields. I guess so. I guess so. Just like, I think it's a, like a... The Woodrow's and the... <clears throat> I don't want to drift into any kind of stereotype here, but I think it's like a Roma curse. 
I think probably a Rampy did something horrible to Aroma at some point. And the curse is, here's the curse. I'm putting it in the podcast. You shall not, I hope that the podcast breaks this curse. You shall not get along with your brethren. Ye shall not get along with your brethren. I can't imagine what we could have accomplished as a family if we had all worked together. No kidding. Yeah, definitely. But we didn't. We didn't. And even on down through my grandfather and his two brothers and their squabbles and disagreements. And I don't know. White people are not good at keeping the like family that, together. Do you feel like that informs your relationship with Holly? I'm like maybe trying, try a little harder I'm on that? trying to be... Yes, present No matter who it is, no relationship is easy. You know, relationships with your best friend can be hard. Especially now, I need to have a good relationship with my sister. You know, my family is dwindling. One hundred percent. Yeah. So, anyway, I said a lot about myself and my family on the podcast now. So everybody so, knows a little more about me. So another. <clears throat> uh, another thing that occurred to me while you were talking is, and, and I'm saying this honestly, this isn't, before we had this conversation, before I even really knew you all that well, all the way back to even Hutchinson Junior High School, mm-hmm. you always struck me as kind of a man amongst boys. Like, listeners, Matthew would wear, Matthew had this intense jaw and this... I have a square jaw. And this serious brow... And he had he actually had really good hair back in the day. I did have really nice um, hair. And he seemed like a grown up running around with us. Honestly, he Is would wear weird? he would wear these like plaid, like sleeveless plaid sleeveless. Yeah, I had the I rocked like that. like he and yeah, so that, that kind of gave him like an outsider sort of feel. Like um, I looked a bit like Marky Mark. He had a serious girlfriend when yeah, pretty much nobody did. Uh-huh. Like you always. You were always a little bit ahead of us maturity-wise. Well, maybe that's that's because I had to fend for myself. Exactly. I I was figuring it all out. Still true today. And Matthew... We didn't meet meet until we we were 15. Wow, that's funny. I thought it it was earlier, but... No. I'm almost certain that I didn't meet you until, like... um, Like sophomore year, yeah, because because you were at Hutch and I was at OL OL Slayton, and um, so we didn't mingle then. And then we moved out of town, and then I I was in town on a visit with David Blackwell. I met you in Dave's kitchen. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, here, this is Schaefer. And I remember, you, I, you know, I was hearing, oh, Matthew Rampy's in town, or yeah, Matthew. Uh, that makes sense. So. I, did I ever see you wandering the halls of Hutch? Or is that, I, no, no, I, I, made that I, up in my head. I didn't. I didn't go to Hutch. What's weird about um, that, listeners, is that O.L. Slayton and Hutchinson Junior High are architecturally exactly the same. Did you know that? <laughs> I did not. Know that. They're That's they're cool. across town from each other, but they are architecturally the, the same school. They, there have been some changes in the intervening years, but um, no, we never we. We didn't go to school together except that one year, our senior year of high school. Uh, that's extraordinary to me. Look, let's not get bogged down in the past. We're doing a podcast right <laughs> now. Uh, I think stand out, another standout thing 
Um, having, you know, your dad at 24 and your mom at 21. I think mine's almost exactly the same. My dad was 25. My mom was 21. And I think being the child of children like that, there's a lot of room for things to go wrong. But there's also, like, like, there's also a lot of, like, great room, room for, like, a lot of growth there, I think. Well, I was always jealous of people whose parents had their shit together. And right. they, they were able to raise their kids in a manner um, befitting a human. I don't know. But I can be alone. I thought my upbringing was a little sad. And I can deal with almost any situation. And I owe, I feel like I owe both of those things to having young parents. And I think those are great. Those are almost superpowers in this crazy world, you know? And, of course, when I was thinking, when you were telling me the story, I, I was just thinking about all the conversations I've had with you about your kids and just how important providing your kids with a good life is to you. And, like, if nothing else, like, that's a great gift that your father gave to his grandkids. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, I know. And another thing that happened was that um, my grandmother loved houses and she was a realtor and she liked to design houses and she would design a house and they would build it and they would move into that house while she was doing that again. And they, so when my dad was young, even though just in Lubbock, they moved like once a year, there was a time when they were working on a house and it wasn't ready yet. And they lived in a motel down on like 19th and Quaker, that area where forever for a while. And um, <clears throat> my dad got in that habit. And so when he and my mom were young and married, they moved all the time. And in my growing up in Lubbock, I lived in like, 10 different residences before my parents split wow. and then my grandparents house and then an apartment and then in with my stepdad. And then we moved to Arlington and then back with my grandparents and then into the dorm and yeah. into the co-op. And then I moved to a, and then I moved to a house in Austin on 44th and between Ramsey and Sinclair on 44th and the Rosedale. Where I sat in the couch. In the yes. Right? Where the, where the feds came, <laughs> where the feds found me. <laughs> the feds found me. Too. I lived in that house for four years and that was the longest I had ever lived anywhere. And then I went on another little, like I moved to San Francisco and I lived in four different places in three years there. And then I came back to Austin and I was on at my aunt's house again. And then, I lived at Lisa's house. Lisa left town to go to Alaska. Uh -huh. And I took her dog and her job and her house <laughs> <laughs> and took care of them through the summer. I kept that job for 12 years, but I, and then I moved into a house and then I moved into an apartment on this South Lamar. Condo, right? I'm, no, okay. no, I moved into an apartment on South Lamar Boulevard at West Mary and South Lamar, Bolden Creek. And Amy was my neighbor there. Ah. And I lived in that apartment for five years. It was a record breaker at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I cleaned that bad boy up 
and I was leaving it and I was like, I lived here for five years. And then Amy and I moved into a condo that she had bought with some money that she had gotten from her family. And we, we updated that condo. And then now we have lived in our house for 12 years. And I'm trying, I, Amy grew up in one house, her, like her whole life was the Hartsdale house. And I'm trying to give that experience to my kids of a sense of place, one house, you know, that they're going to get through, they're going to get through high school on Burrell Drive. A great gift. Because we're doing that. And it's maybe a nice little gift to yourself too. I'm not minding having a home. Yeah. And, and then of course, when I emancipated myself from the turmoil of my youth, should that be the, should that be the title of my <laughs> memoir? When I emancipated myself from the turmoil of my youth? Emancipation from the turmoil of youth. Make a note, somebody. Me. <laughs> I'm listening to this. You. Make a note, Matthew. <clears throat> I um, I felt Austin as my home right away. I, I, my aunt had moved here in the 80s and I would visit. Did you know that I saw the Beach Boys in Zilker Park on the 4th of July in 1987? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Aruba, Jamaica, ooh, I want to take it. Was it that Beach Boys or was it? That's Kokomo. Oh, yeah. It was that Beach Boys, yeah, pretty much. Bob Saget on the, uh, I mean, no. Not Bob Saget. John Stamos on the on the keyboard. Stamos on the keys, I'm pretty sure, yeah. <laughs> nice. I think we've talked about this before. Now. Okay. Um, so anyway, I don't, I don't want my father's passing to really dominate this podcast like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel there's something else I want to say. I feel like say. there's a bunch of other uh, like stuff here that we could just put off to the next podcast. Yeah, I think so too. Um, I think that this house, this ivy covered casa, this ivy covered castle is the longest I've lived anywhere consecutively. Okay. How long, I guess that just how long have you been here? here? I think 2017. Well, that may so maybe like seven years. years. Yeah, seven or eight years. Because huh. even like, even in Brooklyn, I lived for like three years one place, six years one place, and two years one place. And that like, yeah, living at in Bed Stuy on Clifton Place in Brooklyn was definitely that was a record breaker for me at the time. So yeah. Interesting. I didn't yeah. Well and why I, did I, why did y'all move? I mean, didn't you live in your house in Lubbock for quite a long time? Well no, but I was only there You moved to Lubbock in ninth grade? Dick basically yeah. Dick basically spent his whole life so there. Four but years. I only really spent four years there. I see. I boomeranged back for I see. About six months, but um is do y'all still have that house? Yeah, I'm still living your mom, in there. Mom lives, your mom lives in the house. Yep. Uh, it's right around the corner from Daybreak, Coffee Roasters. Yes. Is the Daybreak still there? I don't know. Uh, God, I just drove by there a couple weeks ago. Um, There's a Five Guys no, there. No, it's, it's not. There's that like mega United across the street now. Yeah. Um, Let, let's just remember that we are still podcasting. Lubbock, Lubbock to the bone, baby. Let's just talk about some Lubbock. Um, let's talk about some snow on the way. So we're having this, we're doing this podcast and this is like a, a podcast 
from a couple of years ago where we were like, this, nothing's going to happen. <laughs> and then the city shut down and it was like <laughs> dire crisis. Those, that's actually three years now. It was, it was 2021, February of 21 that that happened. But, but right. last year also the power went out for like two and three days. Yeah. And so, and then there was the year before that when we had the whole week long shutdown. That happened in March. No, that was 21. It happened in 2021. Yes. 21, 22, 23, not 24. Yeah, you're right. 22 didn't have a, and we've a had, winter storm. No. There was one. It was kind of just a long weekend. Okay. But. Did power go out? I think for some people it did. Yeah. I'm so addicted to electricity. Yeah. I, I, I need it. We have, ever since that first crazy week. We have had a yearly winter event, well, just once a year, thankfully, where, but where things get fakakta. Things are going to get all messed up. Well, fakakta is a word I learned from Matthew. I hope that this was entertaining for somebody. Uh, Matthew, this is, I can tell you right now, is going in the annals of one of the greatest episodes of all time. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I um, thank you, man. For it's, it's really like this is like um, <clears throat> I'm telling my story. I mean, the podcast is our story anyway. But but this this obviously feels like me telling my. Telling I hope my there story. are so many like more questions that I have that I don't like. Maybe like maybe like a year from now, I'll re-listen and. <laughs> Drill down with you on some things because you're not get, you're not even going to listen to it next week when we because there's when some we post it. When no, I will, about? I will. I listen to. The, I eventually listen to every episode. Do you all the way through? Yeah. Okay. Eventually. I wonder. Sometimes I'm listening and I'm like, boy, Schaefer would really enjoy this. <laughs> you should text me if that happens. So I like, <laughs> text you. <laughs> I'm, I'm. I email you the show. You post it. <laughs> hey. I've discovered this new podcast. Especially love it's called new. One Magical Hour. <laughs> I love you. I mean, your drop every week is a surprise. So I at least listen to that. Those have been good. They have been very good. Well, we had other stuff to talk about, but we'll just, that's going to be 187. We'll so. push that back. So join us for then. Right now, the Cowboys have just kicked off. Against the Green Bay Packers, <laughs> this is—I'm sure this is not going to age well either way. Um, <clears throat> I feel bad. So we are going to turn our attention to this game so that I can have more heartbreaks. I promised the Houston Texans text thread a rap about the Houston Texans that we've been co-writing. Uh, we'll push that back to next week, but I promise you it'll happen next next week, guys. If we make it through this winter storm, if we, yeah. Yeah. If if all of us are still here next week, okay. All right. Well, was that was that a lot? To was that a lot to digest? Oh, let's do a poem or something. Gosh, you want to do a poem or just not worry about it? No. You want to sing a song? What's your dad's favorite song? You know, I was thinking about that. My dad had a few record albums mm -hmm. uh, that he left out for us: The Eagles, The Beatles. There was a Beatles uh -huh. wide album. Uh, there was a Men at Work. Okay. <laughs> that Men at Work album. Um, but he had Black Sabbath. Years later, 
he showed me that he had this Black Sabbath album. He was Ooh. like, oh, this is one that I didn't put out with the rest of the records. Um, so I, I don't know. My dad liked, my dad liked Ozzy. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> Should we do a little um, two-part harmony of um, uh, an Ozzy song? <laughs> Let's do a two-part harmony, crazy train, barbershop style. <laughs> For your dad, let's do this song. Okay, you're gonna do a song. Great. Saves me, saves me editing time. Anyway, the poor of the choice is the sweet of the wine. Poor of the choice is the sweet of the wine. Well, I'm a running down the road trying to loosen my load. I got seven women on my mind. Four that wanna hold me, two that wanna stone me, one that she's a friend of mine. Take it easy, take it easy. Don't let the sound of your own wheels drive you crazy. Lighten up while you still can. Don't even try to understand. Just find a place to make your stand. Take it easy. Standing on a corner in Wenzel, Arizona, such a fine sight to see. It's a girl, my lord, in a flatbed Ford, slowing down to take a look at me. Come on, baby, don't say baby. I gotta know if you're a sweet love, gonna save me. We may lose, we may win. It will never be here again. So open up, I'm climbing in. Take it easy. Well, I'm running down the road trying to loosen my load. Got a world of trouble on my mind. Looking for a lover who won't blow my cover. She's so hard to find. Take it easy. Don't let the sound of your own wheels make you crazy. Come on, baby. Don't say it, baby. I gotta know if your sweet love is gonna say. Take it easy. We ought to take it easy. We ought to.